Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and Ravinder and Andrea await you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a wonderful chat room with some truly great folks that join us each week. So, Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Yeah, we have a wonderful chat room, but you're all aware of that. The only thing you're not aware about is how to come on in. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat, where the... Chat is always very stimulating, very supportive, and a great deal of fun, and it's a perfect place for you to ask questions, especially if you are shy about calling in. So come to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Right. Now, we have a special guest this week, but he's going to have to leave us at 12.30. So what we've decided to do is we're going to hold our spotlight feature, and we'll bring our spotlight feature on in the last half hour of the show. So instead, I'm going to go straight to the letters. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week we enjoyed a great conversation with Mr. George Nury about conspiracies. When are they the real deal, and how do we distinguish the BS from that which we should pay attention to? Mark wrote, I enjoyed the radio interview you had with George Nury last week. I liked his balanced approach to conspiracy theories, neither dismissing them outright nor being gullible to believe everything you hear. Why is it so important to take such conspiracy theories as 9-11, chemtrails, or the disappearance of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 seriously? And not just dismiss them outright? I believe that it's because what is at stake in many of these conspiracy theories is our freedom. Karen wrote, Wow, what a great show. I could listen to you two discuss these things for hours. In fact, I'm going to listen again once it's been archived. So interesting. Rosie wrote, Great questions. John wrote, Nuri and Taylor together is the great broadcasting conjunction of our era. I like that. That was good. Wayne wrote, Regarding George Nury, whose show I love, I'm not sure I agree that Lyndon Johnson was involved in JFK's assassination. Despite the apparent fact that JFK's and LBJ's joining forces was a kind of shotgun wedding of practicality and that there existed tension between them, I doubt that Johnson would have gone that far. JFK had enough other enemies to choose from that could have been complicit. I'm really not thrilled when shows like yours and George get into politics, since, to quote the film, Inherit the Wind, it's bad for business. I don't know what I think of that, Ravinder. It, 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 sometimes it is bad for business, but sometimes I think it's also appropriate. It's hard to stay out of politics in a day and age when there is so much stuff going on that we just need to be aware of. I think the truth of the thing there is you and I don't tend to do what's necessarily good for business. This is all about coming from the heart, and especially in a field where everyone talks about we're all one, we're all connected. Well, unfortunately, with society today, politics is the way that it 
it can gel together. That's where you can make a difference. So now I actually think we do need to do it. It's difficult, but yeah, we walk a fine line between talking to people and. And I sometimes think we have a spiritual obligation to speak up. I don't think that you're here in this life uh, to ignore, you know, those issues that, for all intent and purposes, determine whether or not you have the right to even worship. All right, Michael wrote, Mind programming is a reading experience that delivers a near-visceral adventure that begins with imagination and ends in near-manifestation. Eldon reveals the extraordinary reality of a virtually unrecognized dimension where each of us live every day but are completely unaware. I recently produced a motion picture featuring 23 living luminaries, each of which share pearls of wisdom and enlightened insights to how we can all achieve true happiness and purpose in life. Albeit an extraordinary cast in retrospect, I wish it were 24. Eldon Taylor brings an invaluable teaching to seekers of wisdom and understanding. The world of higher learning has a new high bar with Eldon Taylor's work. I, you know, five stars. Hey, thank you, Michael. That's really nice. Janet wrote, I don't know which I love most, your books or your CDs. They are both truly life-changing. All right, we're, we're going to take, you know, we're going to call it quits on that for letters today because I do want to get our guest in. But I invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon. That's E-L-D-O-N at EldonTaylor.com. Or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. We truly do appreciate your feedback and support. I read all of your emails and I answer them as well. So please keep them coming. Now to this week's show. And our guest is going to have to leave us at 1230 today. So we're going to rush him right in here. But the show is titled Not So Dead and Famous, although we're really going to cover a lot of alchemy while we're at it. Jay Wiedner. I I must share a little story with you before we get our guest in here today. Recently, I was in Boulder, Colorado, filming two episodes of Beyond Belief with George Nury and Tom Danheiser. The series, Beyond Belief, appears on Gaim TV, and today's guest is the director of original programming for Gaim TV. So I met Jay while we were preparing for the television shoot, and we had a chance to visit. He blew me away. Pure and simple, Jay informed me of instances where famous persons faked their deaths and reappeared somewhere doing something else altogether. And we'll chat just a little about that some today. But Jay is also an expert on conspiracy theories, alchemy, Nostradamus, and much more. So I had to have him join us on Provocative Enlightenment, and he was gracious enough to accept. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Jay Wiedner. Called by Wired Magazine, an authority on the hermetic and alchemical traditions, Jay Wiedner is a renowned filmmaker, author, and scholar. Considered to be a modern-day Indiana Jones for his ongoing worldwide quest to find clues to mankind's spiritual destiny via ancient societies and artifacts, his body of work offers great insights into the circumstances that have led to the current global crisis. He is the director of the critically acclaimed featured documentary, Infinity, The Ultimate Trip, Journey Beyond Death, writer and director of the documentary series on the work of Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick's Odyssey and Beyond the Infinite, and producer of the documentary films 2012, The Odyssey, and its sequel, Time Wave 2013. 
Jay was featured in the History Channel's documentary, The Lost Book of Nostradamus, and was associate producer and featured in the History Channel's special, Nostradamus 2012. He was also featured in the documentary, Room 237, and Brad Meltzer's Decoded, and in Jesse Ventura's Conspiracy Theory. He is the co-author of The Mysteries of the Great Cross of Ande, Alchemy and the End of Time, published by Destiny Books, and A Monument to the End of Time with Vincent Bridges. He has described 13 films. He has directed 13 films in the current Sacred Mysteries DVD collection and has written and directed the new feature film, The Last Avatar. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Jay Whedon. Hey. Hey, Jay, it's good to have you. Yeah, it's good to be here. We like to establish three things, sir, in our interview. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And how do we use it? So to that end, you know, if we can, let's begin by having you tell us a little bit about yourself. What were you like as a youngster? What did you want to be when you grew up? And have you fulfilled those childhood ambitions, redefined them, or forgotten them altogether? Um, well, I'm one of the rare people that knew what they wanted to do uh, almost from my inception. And um, I don't know if it's a past life or whatever, but I knew when I was four years old that I wanted to be a filmmaker. And uh, um, uh, I, I knew things about filmmaking, which I am actually stunned that I knew when I was four and five years old. I knew how cameras worked. I knew how projectors worked. I knew how... And my dad tells me that I would sit and talk for hours about um, cinema, and he was like, where are you getting all this? And I'm like, I have no idea. And so I don't know. I just knew that I wanted to make films from an early age, and, and I have succeeded in my goal. As for me, I was a, probably a, not a very easy kid to bring up. I feel sorry for my late mother and what she had to put up with. <laughs> and uh, if she was around, I profusely apologized to her for give, making her hair grow gray early. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was pretty much lived by my own life and went by a different drummer and uh, didn't really care what people thought of me and that has I paid some in some cases deep political uh, price for that attitude and sometimes you know it's paid off greatly for me um, I'm a super high risk taker and um, not a, I don't gamble but I take high risks and um, I live every day as if it's the last day of my life and uh, Every radio show that I do, I, 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 I always think that this could be the last time I'm going to speak in public. So I try to treat everything as if it is extremely special because I believe it is. And that, that's my life. How wonderful. That's, it, let me ask you this. I mean, I'm compelled to ask you this. Uh, I know that you've done a lot of work in alchemy and spiritual traditions and secret societies, and we'll get into that. But... Um, you must have some theories about why you had all this film knowledge. You, you think you brought it into this world? I mean, is uh, is this a state of reincarnation? I mean, what is your personal theory on that? Uh, my personal theory is that I, uh, I may have died early in my last life and didn't complete something that had to do with uh, motion pictures and, and cinema. And I came here to do it right this time. That's what I think. And um, 
Uh, that's what I think. I, mean, I can't. I can't explain my knowledge in any way. I had no books. My parents were not artistic. They didn't like movies. They didn't really have many artistic um, things at all in their life, and uh, and they wondered what the heck I was because you know I was from the minute that I started reading, I was into poetry, literature, famous art, uh, you know, studying it and uh, cinema. And my family absolutely has no interest in any of those things. They're just a very simple family. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say, except that it, it can only be explained by reincarnation. Yeah. That's what I would suspect. You heard the setup piece, Jay. Yep. I, I Please share with us, uh, our audience, the story you told me about Alex Jones, would you? <laughs> okay. So well, let me let me do something a little preliminary on this before okay. I get into it. Um, you know, everybody was talking about the great awakening that was going to come in 2012. And then mm-hmm. it came and went, and we didn't really see this great awakening. And um, I am arguing that there was a great awakening. It just wasn't the great awakening that we thought it was going to be. It was a great awakening but it wasn't like Joe Sixpack and Joan Chardonnay's awakening. It was our awakening. The people that are involved in all this research were the ones who got awakened. We are the ones who were asleep before 2012. And what am I saying? Well, I'm saying that on December 14, 2012, exactly one week before December 21, 2012, an incident occurred in Connecticut, and we all call it Sandy Hook. And what happened with Sandy Hook was there was just a lot of really weird things going on around that whole incident. And it caused a lot of people in the community to begin looking at not just Sandy Hook, but a lot of other events that are going on around us and asking ourselves, is this real or is this fake? And that is the awakening because we're now learning to discern what is real and what is fake and what we're finding out is that a lot of things going on around us are fake and uh, not real at all so um that i went off since 2012 i've been pretty much spending a lot of my time looking at at past things and current things and, and asking myself is this real did this really happen or is it fake is someone faking us out and surprisingly i'm finding out that a lot of things are being faked and uh, it, which is comforting in one way because it means that there aren't as much tragedy going on as we've been led to believe. But on the other hand, it really angers people when I tell them that something they really believe actually didn't happen. And so I'm, I'm writing a fine line now because I don't want to be offensive, but at the same time, I want the truth to get out. So, Alex Jones. Well, Alex Jones and a comedian named Bill Hicks both lived in Austin, both have the same producer, and both look exactly alike. Bill Hicks was a famous stand-up comedian who died, I think, in 93. Okay. And Alex Jones emerged in 1993. Uh, no one had heard of Alex Jones before 1993, and, and he emerged. And frankly, he's a dead ringer for Bill Hicks. Uh, the voice is different. But I do believe that he probably took a lot of steroids to lower his voice. 
he has, Alex Jones has the voice of a person who's on steroids or has been on steroids in the past. That's what they sound like. So like, um, who's that big wrestler? Jesse Ventura has it too, yeah. but the big wrestler, I can't remember his name, the blonde haired guy, he has a rah, rah, rah voice that you get from steroid use. And I believe that Bill Hicks's career was going down the tubes as stand-up comedians, you know, they can only tell the same joke over and over again so many times. They get tired. All stand-up comedians eventually quit doing stand-up and go change their career. Some become movie directors like Woody Allen. Some become actors like Robin Williams and Tom Hanks. But they all eventually change their careers, except for guys like Rodney Dangerfield, who was funny all the way to the end. But um, I believe that uh, Bill Hicks, who was very political, um, very as uh, a great uh, doc on him on Netflix, and uh, I believe that he changed careers. He faked his cancer death. Nobody saw him. Nobody went to a funeral, um, and he reemerged as Alex Jones. And he's got the same number of letters as Bill Hicks in his name. He's a dead ringer for Bill Hicks. Just got a little more body fat on him. And once you uh, uh, can. Uh, realize that he changed his voice through steroid use, uh, he's the same person. He has the same politics as Bill Hicks. He's, you know, he's trying to get the truth out about a lot of things that you talk about a lot. And so I'm not trying to discount Alex Jones or Bill Hicks. I think both of them have done a lot of really good work, but I think we have to see through the veil and realize that Bill Hicks changed careers. Now let me ask you a question, just on your own. Alex Jones claims he's 38 years old. I ask you, does he look like a 38-year-old to you? No, the answer to that is no. No, he not. looks a man yeah. in his 50s, which yeah. is exactly how old Bill Hicks would be today. So um, I'm glad. I think it's good. Bill Hicks didn't die. One of the funniest guys who ever lived didn't die. So, again, you know, it's going to come as a shock, and I'll say things today that are probably going to anger a lot of people because I'm challenging their belief systems. But... Um, we are looking at the world with new eyes now, and the new eyes started in 2012. And uh, it, to me, it's refreshing, extremely refreshing to see the world as it is and not as it has been manufactured. Well, I have to tell you now, you the conversation we had it drove me to search out Uh on the internet, the number of stories that exist about people who've committed what what is commonly called pseudocide, you know, where they, yeah, where they just sort of. I'm stealing that one. All right, pseudocide. That's a good one. Huh? That is. Uh, but you know what I saw out there? Some of it is like crazy. I saw pictures, for example, of Jesse James and Brad Pitt, and Brad Pitt is a dead ringer for Jesse James. <laughs> But how could that be? I mean, the the age difference is like, you know, come on, that's far-fetched, isn't yep. it? Yeah, that's far-fetched, yeah. But, I mean, you know, he probably comes from the same genetic line. But, um, uh, the, you know, so, uh, you know, Brad Pitt, you know, I'm not sure I even know who Brad Pitt is. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about some of the others? I mean, you know. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, flesh out for us. Who else has committed pseudocide? Uh, well, I believe Jim Morrison. Um, I don't. I don't think he died. Um, I don't think. Uh, gee, I don't know if I should say this one. 
Well, he didn't commit suicide, but he faked his death, and that is JFK. JFK faked his death? Yeah. If you go watch a Zabruder film on YouTube, and I invite everyone to go watch it even as I'm speaking, don't hang up the phone, don't don't go off the radio, stop listening to the radio show, but go type in the Zabruder film and and go watch it, and I'll, I'll explain to you what's going on in that film. As you pass... As the car passes behind the Stemmons freeway sign, where JFK temporarily disappears, there's a mysterious splice. As JFK emerges, he has his hands up to his throat, supposedly. He's been shot in the throat, which is what the autopsy says. Okay, but there's a problem with that. Um, Your throat is at the bottleneck of your body. All of the major arterial um, arteries and, 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 and vascular stuff ru- has to run through the neck. When you get shot in the neck, it is a bloody mess. Uh, as a guy who used to follow police and as investigative journalist, I've seen neck wounds. There's no blood coming out of JFK. And he's actually reaching into his jacket, and he's pulling something out, and he's placing it on his right cheek. And you can clearly see something affixed to his right cheek. As the car passes by, and of course this is all done right in front of the camera, as the car passes by, Jackie leans over and she does something. And then his head explodes. Okay, well let me tell you what's going on. As they pass under the sign, Jack is reaching into his jacket and he's pulling out a squib. A squib is a Hollywood device that simulates a gunshot. He's a He's, it's got a metal plate on the bottom, then a light charge of gunpowder and added with added phosphorus to give it a nice orangey glow. And um, in those days, they didn't re- use a remote. They didn't have the technology like we do today to remote power the squibs. So Jackie leans over, and she pulls the string trigger on the squib, and sending it, blowing it up on his face. The squib rolls up his face and falls to the... Um, to the trunk at the back of the car. Jackie leaves JFK alone to fall into the car and runs over to the trunk of the car and grabs the metal plate. It's clear. Also, gunshot wounds don't leave a vapor of any kind. They, uh, but if you look clearly, you can see a vapor of smoke around that squib as it explodes. Now, here's the kicker. If you look at the autopsy pictures of JFK, there's no wound at all to the right side of the face, at all. But we see in the Zabruder film clearly a wound appearing on his cheek. Okay, and then here's the final upshot. When the car is parked at Parkland Hospital, a reporter with a camera runs up and photographs the back seat of the car. There is hardly any blood in that car. Jackie has hardly any blood on her dress. A, a guy with a headshot wound and a neck wound with uh, enough bl- a blood for like a bloody nose. That's about all the blood there is in that car. That whole car would be 
filled with blood. He would be bled out by the time they got to Parkland Hospital. And um, I, you know, I can't tell you what happened. I can just tell you that when I watch this Bruder film, I'm not seeing what everybody else is seeing. I'm, I'm, I am a filmmaker. I have worked with many, many squibs in my life. I know what a squib is. And here's the real thing. The best film of all the Zabruder films, to actually see the squib on his cheek is JFK's, Oliver Stone's JFK rendition of the Zabruder film. Oliver Stone is on record. Jay, I don't want to cut you up, but I'm gonna, I don't want to get kicked out by the computer either. I'm going to ask you to hold it there when we come back. I'm going to also ask you why George Nury thinks it was a coup d'etat. Yep. We're speaking with Jay Wheatner about his life, work, books, and films. To learn more about Jay, visit his website at jaywiedner, that's J-A-Y-W-E-I-D-N-E-R dot com, or guyamtv.com, or sacredmysteries.com. Okay, remember to join Ravinder and Andrea in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Mr. Jay Widener about his life, work, books, television production, as well as his films. Now, we ask our guests for three pieces of music, three of their favorites, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music is more important to us than many recognize. Music can awaken forgotten memories and has even restored lost states of consciousness. Indeed, music psychology is a field of research with practical relevance for many areas, including investigations of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. I like this segment of our show because it often just provides a great deal of self-disclosure from our subjects, from our from our guests. I can't call them subjects. That's a horrible thing. And Mr. Widener, I have to apologize to you. Um, I, I mispronounced your name, and I'm, I won't tell you who told me to say it that way, uh, because I don't want you to throw sticks at them, but it is Jay Widener, correct? Yep. All right, sir, listen, we just listened to your first music choice, Anywhere by Enya. Why is this one special to you, Jay, and how does it instruct us about who you are? Well, uh, in 1996, when that song came out, I was on a tour in England with uh, Graham Hancock and Robert Pavall and Richard Hoagland, and I met this uh, beautiful woman who was probably the most intelligent woman I've ever met, who later became my wife, and that was our song. Oh, how wonderful. I love that. Richard Hoagland, you hang out with Richard? Oh, yeah, Richard and I have known each other for almost 25 years. Oh, that's a whole other conversation we could have. Yep. All right. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll touch on it. You're, you're going to disappear on me after you know. I'm going to lose a half hour of time with I'm you. Sorry. I guess that's what I'm saying. So yeah. we're going to have to bring you back. Okay. But let's let's turn to something else. Well, actually, I shouldn't do that. Jay, finish what you were saying about John F. Kennedy, please. Yeah, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of uh, negative feedback on this. Uh, people actually uh, no. no. Everybody is really interested in what you have to say. The chat room's ablaze with it. Yeah. No, yeah, pour okay. it on. Well, what what happened is is that Jackie spent October of 1963 on Aristotle Onassis's yacht. So I think we can assume from that knowledge that they were already an item. And so I think happened, in my own humble opinion, John, Jack, as they call him, he was seeing a woman named Mary Pinchot Meyer, who was actually the ex-wife of uh, uh, the head of the CIA. And um, she was extremely beautiful. And um, she, uh, they were having an affair. And uh, I think Jackie wanted to marry uh, Aristotle, and so I think they went to Joe, the patriarch of the Kennedy family, and said, we're getting a divorce. And um, Joe said, no way. In those days especially, you didn't get a divorce, but if you were Catholic, it was really bad. I speak as an ex-Catholic, and I know the... Uh, um, the uh, you would be a pariah, actually, if you got a divorce in those days. And... Um, so I also think that he had been, uh, I know that he had Addison's disease, and he was in on crutches a lot, and he had a big hairy back brace that he was he had to wear. And I think he, he, maybe he either didn't want to be president any longer because of, of that disease, or just didn't want to be president. But either way, they set up the fake out so that he could have an exit and be a martyr. And uh, and he and then in December 
1963, Mary Pinchot Meyer was assassinated in Washington, D.C. while walking down the sidewalk, and I believe that murder was faked, too. And I believe Mary went off somewhere, and they, her and Jack lived together. And Jackie went off to live with Aristotle. And the rest is history. And, um, you know, it, it does. It, there's a guy, and I want you guys to go to his site. He's now my favorite researcher. His name is Miles Mathis, M-A-T-H-I-S. You might want to have him on the air. And he has a site, milesmathis.com, um, updates, where he has articles about all this fakery. And his article came out after I came out publicly last January on the John Wells show saying that Kennedy faked his death. Mathis has then come out, came out with extensive 80-page article showing that they did several takes. Of it, and he has proof that they did several takes. And once you see it, the whole facade just falls into the ground, and you and and you can't buy it at all anymore. I am one hundred percent sure that JFK faked his death. I have no doubt in my mind. All right, you got me again. You blow me away. <laughs> I had, I, I, that's one that I had not heard. In fact, last week uh, George and I discussed it. We went over the film. But George is an expert uh, on the Kennedy assassination, and, and he is absolutely convinced it was a coup d'état. Well, I, I, mean, I think you know most people are, but it wasn't. And you know, I, I, those is not going to go down real good with a lot of people. But Kennedy is not the saint that we think he is, or what. Um, he hung out with the mob. He hung out with Frank Sinatra, a lot of mobsters. Uh, his dad was a mobster. Uh, his dad bought the election for him in 1960. People don't realize this. Uh, you, you know, he Kennedy was supposedly a best-selling writer, but in fact, it was Joe Kennedy that sent people out to buy Profiles and Courage by John F. Kennedy to make it a bestseller. He, you know, he literally went out and bought a million copies of it just to make it a bestseller so that his son could be president. I know everybody thinks that John F. Kennedy is this great guy and he's a saint and he's a martyr and, and all that. I just don't buy it. And when I, when I look at Kennedy's record, I don't see it. I don't see any of it. I see, um, I see him escalating in Vietnam. I don't see him de-escalating. Everybody says he de-escalated, but he didn't. There's more troops in Vietnam on the day he died than on the day he took office. And, um, you know, over and over I see these things and I'm like, no, no, I don't really think that he was the guy that you think he was, you know, and, and it really, you know, pulling down people's, you know, uh, heroes is not an easy thing. But, you know, Kennedy was a very wealthy guy. Uh, there's a lot of strangeness around the whole Kennedy family. And let's think about this. And Miles Mathis points this out, and I really think it's a great point. Here we stand today, you know, over 50 years since JFK was supposedly murdered. And we're holding families accountable, like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and who knows, the DuPonts. We hold all these families accountable for their dastardly doings. But there's one family who's very wealthy, one of the controlling families of this country, and they have escaped our scrutiny, and that's the Kennedys. And They've been made into martyrs, but when you examine them, are they really martyrs? And the and I say no, they're not. And I'll go go even one step further, and this is really going to uh, crush some people. But Bobby Kennedy faked his death too. He got he, he, the coroner Noguchi in L.A. 
says, I've read the report, that he died, he got shot six times in the, in the abdomen and once in the back of the head. And the back of the head shot was supposedly from less than two inches away because the powder burned his hair. Okay? Well, look at the iconic uh, photograph of Bobby laying on the floor with the busboy holding a rosary over him. Uh, it's clearly a staged photograph, by the way. There's no blood. There's no blood coming out of his head. There should be a huge pool of blood. He should be laying in a pool of blood, but he's not. And, and it's just it's inexplicable. Now, here's the thing. Back in the 60s, before my generation came home from Vietnam, movies portrayed gunshot wounds as little tiny trickles of blood. So you get shot. So Gary Cooper shoots Randolph Scott in the abdomen in a movie, and a little tiny trickle of blood comes out as Randolph Scott is dying. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's the, the effect. That's what you're supposed to believe. That's what a gunshot looks like. But when my generation went to Vietnam and we saw what a gunshot does to the abdomen, we were horrified because it, it is a seriously bloody mess. And so we came back and we started making movies, and we were heavily criticized by our parents' generation for this. We wanted to make that violence look like it really does. Hyper real, we called it. And so we started making movies, you know, I wasn't one of them, but Hollywood started making movies, my generation did, that were extremely violent, but they were real. The violence was way that vi it was portrayed correctly. There is a lot of blood when there's a gunshot wound. It is horrible. It is painful and terrible. And But before, say, 1970, movies weren't portraying violence as it really was. And so they were able to get away with this stuff then. But they can't get away with it now. If somebody, you know, now there has to be, you know, we, 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 we want it. it when, when something happens today it is, and it's real, it looks real. The violence is real. The, the blood is real. And, you know, there's other things that happen. Like, you know, there's earmarks that you look for as a filmmaker. Um, blood begins to turn brown at about... 30 minutes exposed to oxygen, sometimes a little bit less. But if you go look at the Boston bombing and you look at photographs of the scene that we're taking an hour and a half after the bombs went off, the blood is still cherry red. It hasn't turned brown yet. Only movie blood doesn't turn cherry red. Human blood turns brown after it's exposed to, to oxygen for just a little while. And so these are the kinds of things you have to look for. Um, you know, the, is the blood still red an hour later? Uh, well, that's probably a sign that something funny is going on. And, and if, are they showing you what happened? Are they showing you the scene? And if they're not, then you probably have to say there's something funny going on here. And, uh, you know, that's where we stand today. We're, we're standing today at a precipice where we are awed by the audacity of the people that are doing these things. We're shocked that they're doing it like this. We can't believe it. Yet what we see with our own eyes when we look is the truth. You know, what did uh, Mark Twain said? Uh, don't believe your lying eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Well, your eyes, don't, your eyes don't lie. And when you look at Kennedy in that car, you see him pull something out and put it on his cheek. You can see it on his cheek. It's sitting there clearly. And, you know, and it's a squib. And it blows off. And it has a gas that, that exudes from it. Gunshots don't have gases that exude from them. Squibs do. 
and I've worked extensively with squibs. And I believe Oliver Stone knows this, by the way. He's he's worked with squibs too, and I'm sure he saw it. And uh, so the people that are are saying that it was a coup d'état, like George, are perfectly sincere in their beliefs, but it has been manipulated, and I don't think there's any doubt about it. The the autopsy pictures don't match what our eyes see. Uh, and another thing, Matt, like Miles Mathis points out, the guy on the slab in the pictures, he's he looks like Kennedy, but he's far too young to be Kennedy. Kennedy was 46 when he was shot. That guy on the slab is about 30, um, 35 maybe. And I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's just a body they pulled out that looked like Kennedy or if he's made up to look like Kennedy. When Bobby saw the body, he said he looked like a wax dummy. That was a direct quote that he gave the press as he came out of the room. So I don't know, you know. I just know that a lot of stuff is being faked, and the Internet is allowing us to call out that fakery. Let me, I mean, this all started because of a week prior to the the so-called Armageddon that was to be prophesized over the Mayan calendar. We had Sandy Hook. Yep. Do you are you telling me that you you believe Sandy Hook was also uh, faked? I do. I, it took me a long time to get to that position, but um, it's just too many holes in the story. Uh, there, they don't. They've never shown us any bodies. Uh, they don't show us any evidence. Uh, they tore down the school within a year of the shooting, which is just really weird. Um, just just so many things about it. They won't answer any of our questions. You know, that's the thing that's so frustrating about it. Uh, and, and there's other things, too, that are worrisome about Sandy Hook. The the, uh, the number of children, uh, the number of people that died is 26. Well, it's actually 27. But the media keeps repeating the 26 number. Okay, well, 26, the number 26 is an interesting number because it's the number integral to the Mayan calendar. The Mayan calendar count is 260 days, which is a harmonic of 26. And what is it, the law, and what's the long term? Thing that the Mayan calendar is looking at. It's looking at the procession of the equinoxes, which is a 26,000-year-long process. Again, a harmonic of 26. And uh, you know, I just think that they're, they're just playing games with us. They're trying to ride the, uh, uh, the whole Mayan calendar thing in some odd way that I can't explain. And here's the thing, is there's no... There's no hearings on Sandy Hook. We can't. There's, the report is completely redacted. It's 10,000 pages, of which 9,900 pages are completely redacted. I have the report. I've read it. It only took me about an hour. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just, it's just got so much high weirdness around it that I finally reached a conclusion. And the final thing is the parents didn't cry. And that is the, that's the kicker for me. Uh, you know, you you cannot do a press conference the day after your daughter was brutally murdered, laughing and guffawing and and snickering, and then going into into your character and then suddenly acting like you're sad. And 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 and, and, and the Soto family is being interviewed the night that their daughter and sister was murdered, and they're all smiles and giggles. And and, and another thing, when, when people say, oh, well, people mourn differently. Well, that's true. But when you're mourning a loss of, of a very close person that you miss, you look it. 
the muscles in your cheeks are sagging, that your eyes are bloodshot. You look, even if you're not crying, you look like you've been crying. Yeah. And none of these people have any of those earmarks. I don't mean some of them. None of them. None of the parents look sad at all. So the motivation, what is that about? Gun control? Yeah, it was gun control. It was clearly gun control. I mean, everybody got involved. Everybody talked. They all were on the same message. Would you talk about gun control if your 10-year-old daughter had just been killed and you were being interviewed by Anderson Cooper? Would you talk about gun control? No. No. You would talk about your daughter, and you would probably be a blibbering, blobbering uh, idiot on camera because you're so overwhelmed by grief. But none of these people are overwhelmed by grief. Uh, it's, it's outrageous is what it is. And um, a lot of these people have got, you know, gotten hundreds of thousands of dollars in uh, United Way donations. And I'm trying to figure out why am I giving money to the family of the kid who got shot? What, what good is that doing me? Um, you know, so the kid that got killed, the family doesn't deserve to get hundreds of thousands of dollars because their kid got killed. You know, it's, it's like maybe we should give that money to some cause that will stop this from happening in the future. That would make sense to me. But just willy-nilly giving money to a family, I just, it, it, it's just, it's unprecedented. I've never heard of anything like this. And uh, again, you know, the, the more you look, the more it appears to be a false narrative. Okay, I've got to ask this, Jay. I mean, you know, we have uh, video news releases, and, uh, of course, they're not supposed to come home, and they do sometimes. But, you know, we have common stories. We, You know, the Nazis, they were bayoneting babies. And then, of course, you know, we're over here, and, and we've got Saddam Hussein's Republican Guard bayoneting babies. You know, and Pulling these stories come today. out. And, and we know that they're false. Yeah. yeah. So right. are you saying that what we're beginning to see in our news today is video news releases designed to uh, manipulate the masses? It really has absolutely nothing to do with reality. Bingo. Absolutely right. That's exactly what's going on. And you touch on that in your latest book, in a way, about how they're manipulating us. Which is a very good book, by the way. And um, oh, thank you. Yeah, and and um, and yeah, that's what they're doing. And the thing is, is what people like Miles Mathis are doing is now we're, they're going backwards and they're looking at other events and it, it, uh, like the Patty Hearst kidnapping. It is so blatantly clear now that that is a total fraud that nothing happened. Um, and there's other events that we're going back and looking at that now appear to be completely fraudulent. Are you going to write a book on this one, Jay? I might, because it is it has been such a revelation for me to have my eyes. I thought my eyes were open, but it was after 2012, 2013, starting in 2013, that my eyes just bugged out of my head as I realized what I was really looking at. And what you have to look at is just, Clear your mind of all preconceptions and just examine the events for what they are. Yes, you love Kennedy, so they killed Kennedy and and had a coup. Well, be neutral about Kennedy. Now look at the Kennedy assassination and what do you see? And and this is true with a lot of other things. And, um, yeah, I really, really, truly believe that the manipulation is incredible. And I think the manipulation really started right after World War II with television. I think television allowed them to create narratives 
false narratives that looked real. And we we bought it because it's on TV. Well, that's what Bernays openly yep. said uh, was the responsibility of the ruling elite. So why yep. not? Exactly. And they did. And they do. You know, anybody that could talk women into smoking cigarettes, you know, you got to pay attention to that guy. <laughs> that too was Bernays. You know. <laughs> not only did he talk him into it. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other story. You know that one well. Yeah. Uh, I think you should write this book. That's a given. With all the information you have, I mean, it would take the rest of us ten years to acquire the knowledge you currently have. So. Yeah, and a lot of it comes from my my you know my I have a extensive background in motion pictures and television and so i know how they do things i know what their tricks are i know when there's an edit there's something going on right there's something they don't want you to see and so i'm on the alert for cameras pulling away at the right moment so that we can't see what happened things like that you know things that are uh, completely uh, manipulated and it's Kind of frightening as to how many things are manipulated. Let's, I'll give you a recent example. Do I have a minute here? Or? Yeah, go ahead. We've got, okay. we've got so about a minute and a half. Walter Scott shooting in South Carolina. All okay. right? Now, Walter Scott is a young black man who's running away from a cop. The cop pulls him over, and he says that, it, that he's just borrowing this car. I guess the cop thinks he stole it. I don't know. But suddenly, Walter Scott runs from the car, and the cop begins chasing him. Then there's a convenient cut. from We don't see what happened on that camera. Now there's another camera. Somebody's holding a phone, and they show Robert Walter Scott running across this, this field, and the cop shooting him in the back like eight times. Unheard of. Shooting a guy in the yeah, back yeah. because he may have stolen the car. He isn't going to stay standing for eight. Yeah. So he shoots him in the back eight times. The only problem is there's no recoil on the gun. There's no smoke coming out of the barrel, and there's no blood on Walter Scott. <laughs> How can he be shot eight times in the back and have no blood? And, no way. Yeah, and so I'm looking at this, I'm going, okay, what did this do? Okay, increased tensions. Uh, uh, what, what the, what's going on is that they want a federalized police force. That's what the old upshot of all these riots and everything is the current administration wants to federalize the entire police, which is a really, really bad idea. Totally and, dangerous. And they're, yes, and they're manipulating all of these, these things and playing them up uh, to get this legislation passed. And Maybe that's to... why the AG's office is attacking law enforcement as opposed to supporting them. Jay, we've got that break in front of us. Okay. If you would like to know more about Jay Widener and his work, books and films, and if you're listening to this show, you're going to want to know more, check out his website at jwidener, that's J-A-Y-W-E-I-D-N-E-R dot com. Now, we have a video for you during the break featuring our guest's new film, written directed by him, The Last Avatar. You can catch this clip by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With InnerTalk, Elden Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. InnerTalk works by priming how you talk to yourself, and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals, anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today.
Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mr. Jay Widener about his life and work. Uh, we're going to be talking about the alchemical world in this next half hour, but we have been talking about conspiracies and uh, video news releases, manipulation, and a whole lot of other. I hope you were here for the first hour. It was uh, definitely an hour worth listening to. All right, Jay, we just played your second musical choice, King and Lionheart by Of Monsters and Men. Please tell us, why is this one uh, special to you? Well, um, Monsters and Men are an Icelandic band that sings in English. And uh, their their songs are um, very Tolkien-like, very much like fairy tales. And I've always been a fan of uh, fairy tales and uh, fan- fantasy novels, and uh, that's what they are like. They're like almost like the soundtrack to Lord of the Rings or something. And uh, they have a new album coming out, which I'm very anxious to hear, because they're an extremely talented band. They're very young, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to their uh, output. This is a great sound. Okay, let me, yeah. let me, let, let's change the subject a little bit. There's so much I want to discuss with you, but... While we're on this control notion, I have to ask you about the Illuminati. Uh, They're associated with um, a secret religious order. There are supposedly secret, you know, religious practices. Uh, I know you've written about a large part of this. So let me ask you this. 
is the Illuminati real? If so, you know what 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 are we talking about? Um, yes, they are real, and uh, what we're talking about is the um, aggregation of power. Um, there's always got to be a top to the pyramid, and so people say, "Well, you just you know you're speculating about," but there's got to be somebody on top. I mean, there has to be. So the pyramid of power, in my view, goes like this. The top of the pyramid, the capstone, are the owners. These are the people that the Swiss study from, 19, from 2007 showed that 147 corporations own 90% of the world. A new study that came out this year showed that 85 men own 80% of the wealth in the world. That means that everybody else is sharing the 20%. And so there's no doubt in my mind that there is a hierarchy of men at the top who are dictating things, and the way they dictate things is through the use of money. That's their magic tool. So the next period, uh, next layer underneath the owners is the Federal Reserve. Why? Because the Federal yeah. Reserve is what doles out the money. To who? Yeah. To the next layer down, multi to the bankers. Okay. That's the third layer, bankers. So it's owners, the Fed, bankers, and then who do the bankers loan their money to? Multinational corporations. So they're the next layer down. So we have uh, owners, the Fed, the bankers, multinational corporations, and then the bottom layer is everybody else, all the farmers, all the soldiers, all the mailmen, you, I, everybody is on that bottom rung. And um, here's the thing is we don't even need those top four at all. We could cut the top four layers of the pyramid off right now, and outside of the fact that we'd have trouble with our credit card, nothing else would matter. We'd, nothing would matter. We wouldn't hardly be affected at all, but we would all of a sudden have a heck of a lot more wealth. Uh, we don't know how much those 85 men really have, but we're beginning to speculate that they may have as much as quadrillion dollars each. That's a trillion trillion dollars each and um and if that is so then that means if we just got the wealth of the top 85 people uh there would be no poverty at all on earth and so you know people say well you know why do you talk about conspiracies and stuff i talk about conspiracies and all this because it is a survival tactic we need to expose this. We can't be afraid. If, if you're truly a spiritual being, if you truly believe in reincarnation and you believe that we're all connected, then you have nothing to be afraid of. There is nothing to be afraid of. They can't kill you. They can't do anything to you. And if we don't stand up and start talking about the fact that 147 corporations run by 85 men control 90% of the world's wealth, then you know what? We're going to commit suicide across the world. The planet is going to commit suicide, deicide, or whatever. We are heading towards that place because these guys are psychopaths, and they don't care about us at all. And if you don't believe me, Google it. Google in 85 men rule the world. Google the Swiss study that came out of the uh, Swiss Institute in 2007. It says 147 corporations run the entire world. And you will see that uh, I'm not making it up. In fact, that Swiss study was started uh, by a group of scientists trying to disprove conspiracy theories. 
And when they got done, they were the biggest conspiracy theorists on earth. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that study, and that uh, that is uh, something that I discuss in my newest one. Sheep will follow the money, and you you know it. You can often discover what the motive is. Uh, but when we look at the Illuminati, we look at a one-world order, and we look at a secret religion at the same time. And I guess if I follow, if I understand you correctly, you're saying 85 men are these 85 men what constitutes essentially Illuminati? I mean, I understand there's a 12-man council, five of whom are citizens of the U.S. Yeah, I, I would say there's a probably yeah there's a council that overlooks i know there is there's a council of 12 actually 13 because there's a uh, leader of that council there's a council of 13 that rules makes all the the game rules and tells you know people when to manipulate things and and all of that and then the 85 yeah i'd say the 85 guys are the top layer of the illuminati uh, whatever you want to call them you know, okay. we can call them Project X if you don't like the word Illuminati, but whatever. It's still it's still a reality that we have to face because they are stealing our resources and our money, and they're destroying the planet. And they're just making sheep out of us. And making sheep out of us. And and also they're doing something that really irritates me. Besides the fakery, is they're um, creating bad science, and. Uh, and, and we're beginning to uh, we're beginning to believe that their bad science is real, and and it isn't, and, and and that's something that we have to stop because that 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 affects everything. If we're if we're believing in science that actually isn't real, then that's a dangerous place to be. And you know, I, when you say that, I just finished reading a book. Uh, it's written by a scientist who actually sued the FDA and won a major lawsuit for them falsifying the science in GMOs. Not not for hiding it, but for falsifying the science in GMOs. So, I mean, you're right, but what are you speaking of when you say faking the science? In what general areas? Are you talking about global warming? Where are you going with that? Yeah, thinking, anything that takes, anytime that you, something is being reported, in the news, and they claim that science has reached a consensus about this, you know that you're listening to BS. Because science is not about consensus. Science is about truth. You don't vote on it. That's why they call it the theory of evolution, because they haven't proven it yet. And until they prove it, it is a theory. That's proper science, to call it the theory of evolution. But to say that there's been a consensus on global warming and though that proves it, is bunk, absolute bunk. Now, do I think the world is heating up? It might be. My first book is all about um, the changing nature of our sun, uh, being, our sun being a highly variable star that uh, changes, and it heats up, and it cools down. And there are cycles within the sun. And are we going through a cycle right now? We may be, although uh, uh, what the current statistics say is there hasn't been any appreciable increase in temperatures in the last 10 years. And uh, right now in Colorado, it's cold and it's rainy, and, um, you know, it doesn't feel like springtime at all. So, uh, you know, if this is global warming, it's a funny thing. So, but, but let's go back to the Illuminati and global warming. The Illuminati is in control of all the oil, all the minerals. They're in control of all the shipping, all the trains, everything. They're the ones who are polluting. 
the world. They're the ones who are responsible, these 85 guys, for most of the damage being done to the planet. Yet, it's these 85 guys that are also behind global warming. So what's that all about? And it's again, it's just trying to find a, a control mechanism. If they can, can get you to believe in global warming, then pretty soon they can, can start controlling everything you do, which is the real point of the whole global warming thing. It has nothing to do with climate or cooling or warming. It has to do with a clamp down on you. To make to make sure that your your air conditioning use is watched, your uh, gasoline use is watched, and and then controlled after they're watching it. And so they're going to demand that smart meters be put on your cars. If you drive more than 100 miles a day, you get fined. This is all coming, folks. And you, they have not yet, by their own point of view, not yet proven that global warming is happening. And 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 that's why they have to resort to calling it a consensus, as if. Science is a democracy, <laughs> which it isn't. Science mm -hmm. is about the uh, uh, about the ability to understand our reality by redoing something over and over to see if it does the same thing over and over. If it does, then it's science. If it doesn't, then it's something else. And that's why I'm irritated because. They have to change the laws of physics to explain a lot of the things that they do. They have to change the climate laws to make global warming happen. But right now, the biggest freeze-out in, uh, in seen in over 100 years is happening at the North Pole, yet no one talks about it. You can't even uh, take a ship anymore, uh, icebreaker, into the North regions anymore because the ice sheet is so thick. And the same thing's happening in our Antarctica. So, you know, if everything is being manipulated, then we shouldn't believe anything they're telling us. Amen. And they're already uh, monitoring well waters now. And they are. And what you can pump out of your own well in yeah. many areas. So oh, yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, okay, Jay, let me ask you this then. If the Illuminati is this 85 men, why did the Vatican ban them? And, and what is the gig that they hold a real secret in the Holy Grail. Hmm. Well, the reason that the Vatican uh, is, was it banned them is because one of the Illuminati's top goals is to eliminate religion uh, from the earth, and the Catholic Church is their number one target. And they have targeted the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church is going down because of that targeting. And uh, maybe they deserve it. I don't know. Yeah, you uh, know, I saw a study just yesterday. I don't mean to cut you off, but yeah. uh, religion in America, 77% uh, 10 years ago believed in uh, some form of uh, of a God, a creator, only 71% today. Yep. That's dropped that dramatically in 10 years. Yep. And it'll drop even more dramatically as the older generation dies off. And um, this is their goal. Their goal is to, because here's the thing, is, is, is you cannot follow anyone but them. That's, the, that's one of their rules. So they have to eliminate all forms of religion so that you're not following your pastor, you're following them. They have to eliminate all political parties but the ones that they control which is what's going on with the Democrats and the Republicans. They have to, that's why there's only two parties. It should be 
50 parties. There should be as many parties as there are people, and, and they're not. So that we try to uh, confine and contain ourselves under the rubric of a Democratic or a Republican uh, ideology, when really Republicans and Democrats don't really even have an ideology outside of power and rule. And so we're being completely fooled by this puppet show. And uh, and, I, and by the way, I'm very optimistic. I, I I've been around this game for a long time, and I can tell you that people are a lot more aware right now than they were even five years ago or ten years ago. And if it keeps going on like this, we're going to hit full awareness in about five years. And they know that. That's why they're trying to stop us. They don't know how to stop us because we're out clevering them. And uh, on the Internet especially, with the ubiquity of uh, cell phones and the ability to upload stuff onto the Internet, researchers are comparing notes. They're talking to each other in a way where we used to be isolated, and now we're not. We're, we're, we're have a, we actually have a community that talks, and, we, and we're exposing this stuff almost as soon as it happens. And it's really starting to scare these 85 men. And uh, the big new Brzezinski, who's probably one of those 85 men, or at least works for him, he's on YouTube at some meeting, and he's saying, we have to get going because they're awakening too fast. Yeah, and, you know, that's all the more reason that we need to maintain a free Internet. And uh, there are attempts at changing that, as I'm sure you're well aware. Jay, I, I wanted to talk about your books, and but, you, you know, gosh, everything we've talked about is so interesting that it just leads to the next one. I am going to stop sure. on all of the conspiracy right this minute and ask you about the mysteries of the Great Cross of Ande. One of your books, The Alchemy of the End of Time, you decode the message inscribed in the Great Cross. Uh, please tell us who Falconelli is and what these deep secrets of occultism are. Yeah, Fulcanelli is an anonymous, enigmatic guy who wrote a book in the 1920s called Mysteries of the Cathedral, in which he postured that the great Gothic cathedrals of Europe were not Christian churches, but were actually built by alchemists and coding alchemical information into the architecture of the churches. Uh, I read this, and, um, and I set out to debunk Fulcanelli, and in the end, he debunked me. And I came into this whole process many, many years ago now, uh, believing in science, and I was an atheist, and I was a journalist, and I thought this was pure bunk, and I thought alchemy was pure bunk. And so I began exploring it, and by the time that I was done with my investigation, I believed in higher powers, I quit my job as a journalist, I no longer trusted science, and I believe that alchemy really exists. But but one thing that intrigued me more than anything else when I was reading Mysteries of the Cathedral was the last chapter in the book is concerns uh, this small cross found in a churchyard in Unde, France, or Ende, or Hende, however you want to call it, it's, which is a town that sits on the Spanish border in France. And uh, this cross is a 400-year-old cross, and Falconelli gives us a few clues about the cross, but that's it. He just kind of tells us that this is one important monument and you need to pay attention to it. Well, since he was so smart about everything else that he said, I decided to decipher the cross of, of Hende, Hende, Unde, whatever we want to call it. And after about seven-year investigation, uh, we wrote the book. And, uh, the, and what basically 
the cross of Hende is, is it's proof that there's a secret society that has all of this incredibly advanced information that's being hidden from us. And uh, so the, the cross has, uh, you know, four panels, and it has an inscription above it. And as we uh, decipher the cross of Hende, we realize that it was talking about a disaster that hit the planet 13,000 years ago when a comet came and broke up into many pieces and, and nearly destroyed all life on Earth, which you now know really happened. We know that that comet hit through the world into what is called the Younger Dryas, a 1,600-year-long ice age, which was the worst ice age that the world has ever seen. And now we know that that ice age was stopped by a coronal mass ejection from the sun, which caused immediately all that ice to melt and caused gigantic floods everywhere on Earth. And this is all in, in on the inscriptions of the Cross of Hende. Uh, we know... Many, many things that we didn't know and, until we deciphered the cross of Hende, and um, it is proof that at least 400 years ago, there was an altruistic secret society that was holding some very, very, very ancient information secretly, and they inscribed it on the cross. And I would have another have to take another hour to actually explain anything oh, more than no that. no kidding. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if you're willing, I'm going to bring you back, and we're yeah. going to spend a, t- a lot of time on that. But, yeah. you know, really quick, there was a secret society uh, that, as you say, were altruistic. This is not the same society that when we turn and we talk about the Illuminati, and there seems to be some conflation out there by way of people seeing the two as related. Have I got that wrong, or are they... No, you're separate? absolutely right. In fact, the number one goal of the 85 guys in the Illuminati is to find this altruistic secret society and get rid of it. Get it away, off the planet. Get rid of them. The, uh, secret, the uh, benevolent secret society's goal is to get rid of the Illuminati. Uh, but they can't come out face-to-face because the Illuminati is so vicious. And um, this benevolent secret society has many, many secrets to release to us. But they're not going to, and they're very good secrets. They're very, very good secrets. But they're not going to, including extended life, maybe up to two or three hundred years. But they're not going to release those secrets as long as the Illuminati is controlling us. I want those secrets released. I know what those secrets are. And I want them released. Those secrets will benefit the entire human race, every one of us. So I'm God, we have to eliminate the Illuminati, and we have to do it. We, we can do it in a benevolent way. We don't have to do it where we execute them or anything like that. We'll just place them under house arrest for their whole lives. They can't use computers. They can only use snail mail, and they can't leave their house. And, you know, we're not going to do anything more to them. I don't think we should because then we're playing their game. And uh, so, you know, we, we have to get rid of these guys, and then this benevolent secret society will come forth. And when they come forth, this world will be a lot better place. Okay, so you know these secrets, then are you going to live another 200 years? Do you have access to the elixir? Yeah, I could. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure Um, you share it with that lovely bride of yours. I will, but, you know, here's the thing, is if I can talk some, if you say this elixir really exists, you know, we give it to somebody like uh, Angeline Jolene. And then she comes out and says that it works. That'll change the whole system. If you have to, if you get to live till you're four or five hundred years old, you're certainly not going to fight in any wars. 
You're certainly not going to want your water to, and air to be polluted. Um, it gives you a whole different view of life. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Yeah, you don't get married till you're 200. You don't have children till you're 300. Go to college <laughs> till you're 100. All right, Jay, we're all about all about out of time. How right. about sharing with our audience? How's the best way that they can learn more about you? Mostly jwidener.com and uh, go to thelastavatarmovie.com and watch the trailer for my new movie. You'll like it. Okay. All these subjects are in it. So. Yeah. And uh, listen, if you can get your hands on a book, I'll tell you, all of you out there, get The Mysteries of the Great Cross of Ande, or Ande, I guess, however you want to say it. Yep. Alchemy and the End of Time. A great read. Jay, really appreciate you coming to the show. I know you have to turn into a pumpkin now and disappear on us, but Sorry. we will get you back. Okay. I look forward to it now. All right. We're glad you tuned in today. We know you have many choices, and we're grateful you chose to join us. We love your feedback, so please join me on Facebook and or drop me an email at eldon at eldontaylor.com. I love your sharing your letters on the air, and that's a great way for you to participate. We'll be right back following this short break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. The changes I've seen in my life are truly a blessing. InnerTalk has given me the tools to repair deep-seated beliefs that constantly worked against me. I find myself happier and more successful since I've used the InnerTalk programs. I encourage you to discover the power of your beliefs by visiting www.innertalk.com and selecting your title for change. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now... Back to the show.
Welcome back. We've been chatting with Jay Whitener about his life, work, books, television, show, and movies. And it was a most interesting 90 minutes. Um, in this half hour, we're going to revert to our spotlight. And then we'll discuss some of the things that Jay had to to say uh, during that first uh, hour. Joining us in this uh, half hour is our wonderful um, chat room co-producer, Andrea. Andrea, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having You're me You're here. On. All right. I'm going to ask you about our spotlight. You and Ravinder can tell us what you think of this. In today's spotlight, we turn our attention to a cover story in this month's issue of Psychology Today. The headline reads, The Voice of Reason. What exactly is the voice of reason? It seems we have two possibilities going on in our heads all of the time. One we can think of as the voice of treason, and the other as the voice of reason. The voice of treason informs us of every little limitation we might be able to think of when it comes to fulfilling our dreams. It literally evokes emotion and attaches it to negative self-talk, and as a result, the physical brain processes the information differently than it might otherwise do. For example, a fearful thought, such as what one might have before a public speaking event, causes the amygdala, the brain seat of fear, to respond. Now, if the inner talk, that stream of consciousness constantly going through our minds, were to assure us that we're ready to knock it out of the park, our brains would respond differently. Quoting the article in Psychology Today, quote, By toggling the way we address the self, first person or third, we flip a switch in the cerebral cortex, the center of thought, and another in the amygdala, the seat of fear, moving closer to or further from our sense of self and all its emotional intensity. What used to be considered as pop psychology for many years is now mainstream science. Indeed, through the use of some innovative research designs, the article continues to inform us that inner talk isn't just mechanical. It's all important. According to the article, how we address ourselves, our own inner talk, is, and I quote, a powerful instrument of consciousness itself. When deployed in very specific ways, it frees the brain to perform its absolute best. Close quote. Now this should come as no surprise to those of you who follow my work. My own research, together with that of many independent researchers, has repeatedly demonstrated the importance of changing how we talk to ourselves. Indeed, that's what Intertalk's patented technology is all about. Through the use of shadowed messages presented in a dichotic masking manner, what many think of as subliminal, but not just any ordinary subliminal, we have successfully lowered test anxiety, reversed clinical depression, alleviated the symptoms of ADHD, reduced stress, prompted self-healing, and so much more. The fact is, dozens of different intertalk titles have been put to the test in studies carried out by independent researchers, and they have all demonstrated effectiveness. Here's the big advantage to priming your self-talk with intertalk as opposed to just using a positive affirmation. When you tell yourself something, your conscious sentry may reject it. So you say to yourself something like, 
I deserve to be happy and prosperous. And maybe that sentry, the one who functions out of protection to us, based on defense mechanisms, may well say something back to you like, Why do you think that? What about? Do you remember? We all develop defense mechanisms in our maturation process. Perhaps we are laughed at, humiliated for the way we do something. Let's say for the way we laugh. So we unconsciously adapt a strategy that stops us from really laughing. Later in life, our friends and family just think of us as being rather stoic, lacking a sense of humor. We may even adapt that view ourselves, but the real reason is we were dishonored badly at some time early in our lives, and our defense strategy, intent on protecting us, prevents us from laughing. Now we decide to develop a sense of humor. So we begin to tell ourselves affirmations. We, we begin to say to ourselves things like, I laugh, I'm funny, I like laughing. And what happens is that that conscious sentry talks back with, not really, you don't like laughing, be serious, remember, and so forth. When you bypass this century with intertalk technology, you prime your stream of consciousness literally with the positive messages that lead to new life beliefs and real change in behavior. Like flushing out a derby garbage can with a clean hose, water hose, pumping in nothing but clean water. Pretty soon, the negative is gone, and what remains is the fully supporting positive messages. Then when you say to yourself something like, I deserve... Your self-talk says back, yeah, I do. I really do. Okay, your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, I find the whole subject uh, fascinating. I really, I mean, I do get a kick out of independent science going on, just proving what you've been teaching for decades now. Absolutely decades. But this whole idea of um, that self-talk coming back, you know, in the e-news that we sent out this week, in fact, we've been covering the whole the subject this entire month, all about self-sabotage and the fact that, you know, in the example that you just gave, you know, the person was told when they were younger that they had a funny smile or a funny laugh, so they stopped laughing. Um, but what happens is you forget what the cause was. You know, you build in this protection you know, to prevent you being laughed at again, but you totally forget where it came from. And oftentimes, the source of the problem doesn't matter today. You know, it can be something that your subconscious has done to protect you back then, but you don't need it now. So, um, and there are loads and loads of examples of, of that. You know, we've been, uh, as I said, we've been covering that in the e news recently, which is why we just put the entire self sabotage collection. Um, on sale right now that's our $250 value that we're offering for $98 right this moment simply because it's an issue that comes in the back of everything so you know what I tell people is if there's something that you've been trying to change and you are blocked on you know if you find yourself making the same mistakes over and over again um, you know I think of a friend of mine who always has some kind of personal crisis that she has to go help. Actually, they're not her. The crises aren't hers. They're related to friends and family. But she has to go 
help them out all the time and as a result she's put her in her personal life on the back burner now other people in her family you know her brother and her sister have not done the same thing you know they've gone on they've got married they've had children they've had a life but this particular friend of mine a really dear a dear dear friend but she hasn't had a life she has spent her entire life taking care of her family and that too is a form of self-sabotage it's this idea that I don't deserve so therefore I will pre prevent myself from being happy or it can be an internalized anger and you know you end up blocking yourself that internal talk that those defense techniques that go on those defense centuries it can also um, be you know just plain insecurity and there could have been some episode in her life and departing you know leaving her family and going on her own i mean there are lots of things that go on. let's get them. andrea in here andrea what are your thoughts well, inner talk, it, it's so important, and I think the first step is that you have to pay attention to what your inner talk is, because um, once you do that, then you realize, oh, why do I have this negative talk, and what is it, and why am I saying this, and what happened to where, you know, I feel the need to say this, and then you can really, really take a look at the issue and see what you, what it is you need to work on, and what affirmations um do I want to have, you know, if I say, well, I'm not very good at this or I'm bad, you know, what affirmations are there that you can say or that you can have on an inner talk program that will help you and re replace that negative into the positive. So really, really paying attention to your self-talk could help you out a lot. I mean, that's probably the first step. To, You're a uh, new parent, and uh, yes. you know Ravinder and I have got a couple of boys we're really proud of, and we have raised them on this technology, and we have raised them to become very aware of their self-talk and to eliminate, you know, th that kind of nonsense that is self-limiting, the the I can't and and I I won't and I'm not smart enough and all that kind of stuff. How are you managing that with your new with with your son? Um, well, he's two years old right now, so um, I don't know how I'm managing that right now, but, um, you know, just trying to stay positive with him. And Does he come and, uh, and say things to you that you hear that are like, you know, the negative things? No, he's he's not talking too much yet. He's still pretty young. Um, there hasn't been anything negative. It's he's really, you know, he'll throw a temper tantrum or things like that, but um, no self talk yet. But I'm sure he could, he probably shows it in his nonverbal communication. And you're um, encouraging him, of course, all the way so. that Logan, you can do <laughs> anything you want to do, right? Of course, yes. Okay, yes. All right, Ravinder, you you mentioned self sabotage in your most recent article. There was you covered a a situation that I was involved in many years ago, where a very prominent person, in fact, a co-inventor of ultrasound, uh, his boy uh, became very ill. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you want to share that story? You want to unpack that? Yeah. No. I mean, it, it is a fascinating story. Um, you know, this all happened before. I came along, so I heard all the story, but I... But you just rewrote it, so but, I... <laughs> but I did. I did just rewrite it. This boy, um, you know, was the apple of the family's eye oh. as a baby, and then um, a younger sister was born, 
And then he got sick. It was just um, an ordinary sickness. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but he ended up having to have a tracheotomy. Um, and during that sickness, he got all the the prime attention again that the baby of the family always gets. And not long after that, he became sick again, and it degenerated. But but first he got well. Yeah. And when he got well, then all the attention, the attention went, went back, back to, to the, the baby sister. One. So then he got sick again. And then, yeah, then he got sick. But this time it just degenerated and he got worse and worse and worse. So that by the time he was in his teens, he was almost totally confined to his bed. And, you know, uh, his dad had plenty of cash and he went out to see all the experts, all the doctors, all the specialists, and they couldn't do anything. And then they came into you and you had this theory that it was all related to the attention that he had had as a as a baby that he had got back when he was sick so then there's that subconscious idea that says well Motivation. what if i get sick again um and so you created the custom program for him and his parents played it constantly and then what i found fascinating with the story was this boy actually created a situation for himself you know it wasn't it wasn't it was subconscious but it wasn't it was really weird but he actually no, was, did something overt to change the oxygen intake that he he's had sleeping in bed mm-hmm. and in the middle of his you know sleeping he reaches over he was on oxygen and cranked up the oxygen which triggered an alarm and of course led to Another tracheotomy, which in my view completed the cycle. That was the regression. We jumped right back to that tracheotomy, and after that tracheotomy, he became well. It was a matter of just a few months, and he was no longer uh, unable to move about on his own. He he had a driver's license, had his own vehicle, was chasing. It was it was really quite a story, quite an example of how. Our unconscious, non-conscious can indeed create situations that, for all intent and purposes, torture us. Uh, you know, they they disable us. They uh, rob us of our power. Mind as healer, mind as slayer is uh, more than just a, you know, catchphrase. It, it is. But what happens, you know, when you have these uh, self-sabotage techniques, techniques um, these things going on in the background as soon as they reach the light of day they lose their power totally Correct. so there have been there have been a, a couple of times over the last 25 years where I have uh, resorted to using this self-sabotage program because I couldn't find a way out so if I've got if you have got the time I'll sh- share a story with you please but um, this was you know this is quite some time ago I don't suffer suffer from hay fever and allergies of that kind I don't I haven't ever had uh, that kind of problem but I think you know when I first met you you were talking about uh, disease and how some of these things happen by habit and you had this habit of you you have the habit still if a commercial comes on TV you're going to change the channel or you'll say cancel 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 um, but one year I remember I 
accidentally watched one of these allergy commercials, you know, <laughs> the allergy season is coming, take this, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I remember I caught myself slightly. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. But I think the damage had been done because a short while afterwards I developed an allergy. But I put on your Freedom from Allergy program. See, what was happening was each morning I'd get up all stuffy and snuffly, and I put on the Freedom from Allergy program, and within five, ten minutes, I was breathing better. Within about 20 minutes, it had all cleared up. I had to use the program every morning for a couple of weeks um, before the allergy just went away again, you know. But the following year, I had the same thing happen, and this becomes a classic example of why sometimes you have to dig around to find a solution. But the following year, again, I had the allergy, so of course I reached directly for the allergy program, but this time it didn't work. So then I started thinking, okay, what else could be causing this? And this time I was really sneezy and snuffly and... It influenced everything. You know, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't be romantic and cuddly because I had to blow my nose every five minutes. It was really infuriating. So I looked around and, you know, esteem is always a big issue. So I tried that program and it helped a bit, but it didn't work. So it's like, okay, what am I afraid of? So then I put on the freedom from fears. And again, I had some alleviation, but I, I'm not the kind of person who wants something that helps. I want a cure. I want this gone. This whole thing ended up going um, on for about six months when I'm not sure what triggered me off, but I ended up playing the uh, end self-destructive patterns all night long while I slept. And I had a dream, and it's not unusual for me to have a dream when I'm playing an inner talk program that relates to something I'm going through at at the time. But in this dream, I was feeding myself something that was causing the problem. I was poisoning myself with it. And when I got up the following morning, you know, I was thinking through the dream and suddenly things went one, two, three, and it suddenly all connected. There was a catch-22 situation I was in. Didn't know what to do about it. It's like whatever I did, it was wrong. And I, you know, so I, you know, I'm not sure if this was my subconscious way of crying about it. No, so I was sneezy and sluffily and not being able to do anything. But as soon as I saw the situation, as soon as I recognized it, acknowledged it, the allergy disappeared. Right. It was, uh, it was, it was really, really weird. How's that? Jung says, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will direct us, and we will call it fate. fate. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that happens, you know, time and time again with so many things. I heard from. Um, a customer recently, and I think he was in his 50s or 60s, but he said as a child, his teacher had told him that he wasn't any good at math. And consequently, he hadn't ever been any good at math. You know, there is so much harm done as you, in your childhood, particularly when teachers say something stupid like that when they put you in a category into a box and that's why you and I are so adamant about you know we don't want to be stuck in boxes don't put a tag on somebody because that is the guaranteed way to trap them in that place for forever so yeah you know I've talked to lots of people over the last 25 years who have had those kinds of issues and then you know in this particular example he played the uh, finding math easy program 
and found it you know so much better but as long as you think you're no good at something you're not going to try your best you're going to hold yourself back so whatever it is that you think you can't do change that thinking yeah, and you'll be amazed at how everything else can change too yeah and remember what andrea said you know in order to change it you have to become aware of it you have to tag it as it comes in you have to you know wait a minute where did that where do i not only where did i get that thought from but why do i have that thought and do i want to keep that thought Andrea, it's always great to talk to you, and it's wonderful to have you join the show. And I know you didn't want to. You were kind of reluctant. And I saw your message, you know, calling me a bully. But I cherish your contribution to the show. So I'm going to give you the last 30 seconds. What have you got to say? Well, thanks for inviting me on. I did not want to come on. I was scared and nervous about being live on the radio show, but I decided to go ahead and face my fear and and call in, and I'm glad you did. And and thanks to you, Eldon and Ravinder. Um, Ravinder, your newsletters have been great. If anybody hasn't subscribed to the InterTalk newsletter, just go to intertalk.com and and subscribe there, and you'll just get lots of information like the story Ravinder just told. Um, It's really good because, you may not realize that you had some of the same problems or some of these issues until you hear somebody else's story. So that's a great way to to um, to find out more about InterTalk. Great, great. All right. Well, thank you again, Andrea. Thank you, Ravinder. And, hey, it was great hour with Jay, hour and a half. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank our guests again and all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on the show, do please let me know. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.